My name is Dr. Joshua Knapp. I'm a board-certified clinical psychologist and 21st century Christ follower. Early in life, I experienced overwhelming psychological suffering, which led me down a path of wandering away from the Christian faith in my adolescent years, reminiscent of the lost son in Luke's gospel, returning to my Christian heritage in my early 20s, my own psychotherapy in my mid-20s, and ultimately a life committed to understanding and pursuing psychological and spiritual health as I now head into the middle years of my life. Please join me as we devote each week to better understanding secular and Christian perspectives on mental health and the intersection between psychology and Christianity. Then engage in a 10-minute practice to conclude each episode drawing upon Christian meditation, prayer, and contemplation. Above all else, my aim in this podcast is to journey with fellow Christ followers, as well as those who are curious about the rich heritage of Christian psychological and spiritual insights into the human condition, doing so with humility and curiosity as we strive to cultivate Christ-likeness in all we do. Hi, I'm Dr. Joshua Nabb, and welcome to the 39th episode of The Christian Psychologist. In this episode, I'd like to talk about a topic that has been recently explored in the secular psychology literature and has profound implications for Christians' mental and spiritual health. Openness to the future. In secular clinical psychology, a positive view of the future can help to cultivate and maintain mental health, especially since emotional disorders such as anxiety and depressive disorders have a catastrophic and hopeless outlook respectively, about the future. Therefore, a healthy, positive outlook can be helpful in cultivating and maintaining psychological health. In Christianity, of course, the Bible has a lot to say about the future. Although we live in a fallen world, our future is certain as Christ's followers, given it is finished as Jesus revealed and God has reconciled us to himself through our union with Christ. Because of this, we will eventually be face-to-face with God in heaven, where there will be no more relational conflict and psychological suffering. With this introduction in mind, to get us warmed up, I'd like to ask a few preliminary questions, then offer several opening quotes before discussing a short personal story and psychological and Christian views on the topic. So what is openness to the future? What are its ingredients? Why is it necessary for mental and spiritual health? What happens when we as humans are not open to the future and we struggle to have a positive outlook on the future? What techniques can be used to improve our ability to remain open, positive, and optimistic about the future? What, if anything, does the Bible say about the topic? How might, from a Christian perspective, openness to the future help 21st century Christ followers to improve their mental and spiritual health? And lastly, what might classic Christian spiritual writings say about the topic? So before turning to a personal story, I'd like to offer a few opening quotes about the salience of an awareness of and openness to the future. The famous Marcus Aurelius is quoted as saying, quote, Never let the future disturb you. You will meet it, if you have to, with the same weapons of reason which today arm you against the present. 
The famous scientist Albert Einstein is quoted as cleverly saying, quote, the distinction between the past, present, and future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. The famous philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche once declared, quote, the future influences the present just as much as the past. The Lutheran theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer is quoted as saying, quote, the essence of optimism is that it takes no account of the present, but it is a source of inspiration, of vitality, and hope where others have resigned. It enables a man to hold his head high, to claim the future for himself, and not to abandon it to his enemy. In Psalm 31, the psalmist declared, quote, My times are in your hand. Talking to God. Jesus himself famously declared, quote, Do not worry about tomorrow. In the Gospel of Luke. In James, we read, quote, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a, and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So, with these quotes, which come from secular and religious sources, we can see the power of an anticipated future which can either contribute to our mental health or mental suffering. Before presenting secular, psychological, and Christian views on openness to the future, though, I'd like like to tell a short story to illustrate the role that the past can play in developing ongoing expectations about the future. For those of us who've been impacted by trauma, it can be hard to trust that the future will work out. I've seen this play out in my own life as well as in the life of my clients who I work with in psychotherapy. With anxiety, we anticipate a future filled with doom, catastrophe, and danger, whereas depression can often involve a hopeless and meaningless future filled with gloom, regret, and future loss. I can remember working with one particular female client in her 30s who grew up in a household with an absent father. Although she was an only child, she often had to fight for her father's attention, so much so that she described in our clinical work together, often feeling sad, alone, and worthless, even unlovable. Simply put, because of this ongoing experience of feeling invisible, she developed the expectation that the future would not work out and she would be alone forever. In our work together, she often anticipated that she would be unable to have children, given no man could ever want to marry her, no man would ever love her and settle down with her, from her perspective. She also held the belief that God was somehow punishing her for a sin she had yet to identify. So not only was she currently alone and suffering, she looked out into an isolated, hopeless future with no one to love in her life. Gradually, we formed a therapeutic relationship filled with safety and trust, and I was able to convey unconditional acceptance, empathy, and positive regard, experiences she had not encountered on an ongoing basis growing up. Session by session, slowly, she began to have a different emotional experience of our relationship, 
which I believe she was able to internalize with a restored sense of hope that she could and would eventually find someone to settle down with and start a family. I also noticed that she began to hold different beliefs about God, as well as relate to God on a more intimate level, filled with safety and trust, possibly because of the therapeutic relationship we created in our work together. As our work concluded, she had more positive views of the future, filled with a potential spouse. In other words, she was hopeful about a potential spouse and family and a God who had her best intentions in mind. Although earlier in life, she learned she could not count on people to walk with her into the future, in adulthood, she was able to begin to change this belief about the future, which helped her to have more hope and optimism in her relationships with God and others. So with this understanding in mind, let's turn to the secular psychology literature for insights into really views about the future and how they can play a powerful role in mental and even spiritual health. So turning now to secular psychology, beliefs about the future are extremely important, resulting in the need to explore openness about the future as a way to explain a variety of mental health struggles among psychologists. For instance, with anxiety disorders, there's a preoccupation with things going wrong in the future. With the human mind predicting that social situations and other events will not turn out okay. As another example, with major depressive disorder, sufferers often look into the future and see no hope or meaning in life. And to offer one more example, with trauma-related disorders, such as post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. We often can predict that we will be traumatized all over again, especially since the prior traumatic event was so difficult and we end up experiencing intrusive memories about the past event again and again. Conversely, when we are hopeful about and open to the future, we may be more likely to achieve future goals, given we will pursue them with the anticipation that they will be achieved, not giving up on them, and we may end up having greater well-being. So with this understanding of the salience of beliefs about the future, both positive and negative in mind, and with an understanding that humans have the capacity through the human frontal lobe and human executive functioning, which includes planning and predicting, some researchers have been more focused in their efforts to better understand the role that beliefs about the future play in psychological suffering across many DSM-5-TR disorders, such as those previously mentioned. So in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the 5th edition text revision, which is really the way to diagnose psychiatric or mental disorders in the 21st century, we have a range of disorders that really have, as one of their main areas of focus, predictions about the future. And so psychologists of late have focused on really beliefs about the future, this openness to the future as a way to make sense of mental health. So about five years ago, several researchers developed the openness to the future scale to try to capture positive beliefs about the future, as well as better understand how positive, hopeful beliefs about the future relate to mental health. In fact, according to these researchers, people who are mentally healthy 
actually have positive, unrealistic illusions about the future. So in a positive way, yes, they're unrealistic. Yes, they're illusions, but they can actually protect them from ongoing psychological struggles like depression and anxiety. So what might some of these ingredients be? Well, first, they have an overly positive view of themselves. Second, they have an overly positive belief that they can control their environment, believing they have much more control than they really do. Third, and finally, they have an overly positive view that their future will turn out well, beyond the typically maybe pessimistic views about the future that a person may have. So overall, again, these positive illusions can actually be helpful in protecting individuals from depression, anxiety, and so forth in an imperfect, tragedy-riddled world. In terms of the actual ingredients of the scale, the openness to the future scale, researchers have really developed five areas that were included in the scale. First, the illusion of control is, quote, a sense of being in control and feeling confident about facing uncertain future situations. Two, acceptance is, quote, being open and accepting about what the future may bring. Three, engagement in life and planning is the ability to, quote, make plans and work to achieve them. Four, positive orientation towards the future is, quote, the ability to make positive interpretations about the future. And five, self-efficacy regarding future plans is the ability to remain confident in, quote, personal abilities to make plans and fulfill them. So ultimately, across these five areas, people who are open to the future may be better able to plan, problem solve, and remain hopeful in the midst of the challenges of life. In terms of the relationship between openness to the future and mental health, research-wise, researchers have found that openness to the future is negatively correlated with depression, anxiety, worry, and hopelessness, and positively correlated with self-esteem and well-being. So when we give people a measure of openness to the future as well as a measure of other kinds of symptoms, we find that as people endorse more openness to the future, they endorse less depression, anxiety, worry, and hopelessness, and then they endorse more self-esteem and well-being as they endorse more openness to the future. So these results have confirmed in both community samples who are not in treatment for mental health problems and those who are that there are mental health implications for openness to the future. Therefore, when we give people an openness to the future measure, those who endorse more of the ingredients, including an illusion of control, acceptance of the future, making plans about the future, having a positive outlook on the future, and believing they can actually carry out their set plans, these individuals are more likely to endorse fewer symptoms of mental suffering and more self-esteem and well-being. In terms of interventions to improve our ability to be open about the future and therefore cultivate and maintain mental health, although the openness to the future scale was developed, developed five years ago, 
To my understanding, no interventions in the secular clinical psychology literature have been developed and tested to help increase openness to the future among those struggling with mental health issues. Yet, because meditative practices like loving-kindness meditation are widely circulating right now in secular clinical psychology, I wonder if they may be helpful here. So loving-kindness meditation is a type of mantra meditation that helps practitioners develop, increase, what are called in Buddhism the four immeasurables. These are, quote, boundless qualities that can be expanded of equanimity, love, compassion, and joy. And loving-kindness meditation has been researched for a wide variety of types of mental suffering, So with this in mind, I wonder if it can help with openness to the future. Given practitioners are repeating mantras such as, may I be safe from danger, may I be happy and peaceful, may I be healthy, and may I be free from suffering. And along the way, they're looking out into the future with equanimity or a calmness and composure in the face of suffering or life's difficulties. They are cultivating love or a deep affection, compassion or being moved by suffering and responsive to it, and joy, pleasure, happiness, or delight, often in response to another person's goodness. And these can possibly, at least theoretically at this time, help to have a more positive view of the future, given we're carrying these emotions with us for the ride. Consistent with this theoretical understanding, research has revealed that loving-kindness meditation can be helpful for improving the quality of and satisfaction with life, environmental mastery, and positive emotions. So one potential way to improve openness to the future is, I believe, to practice mantra meditation to shift the focus from a negative to positive outlook when traveling along the roads of life trekking with the four immeasurables in Buddhism, which are equanimity, love, compassion, and joy, in order to have an increased confidence that, whatever happens, the challenges of life will be met with a calm, loving, compassionate responsiveness, which can help us to better plan and view the future as something we can view with a hopeful optimism and acceptance. Although this has yet to be researched in clinical contexts in terms of interventions for openness to the future, I believe there's real potential here, at least theoretically. So to summarize, openness to the future is really about having a faith, confidence, and acceptance about an unknown, yet-to-be-determined future, making and achieving plans because of the interpretation that one's abilities will help to achieve the goals and plans that have been set. Although interventions have not been empirically investigated yet to improve openness to the future that I'm aware of, loving-kindness and other mantra meditations may hold promise, given they're attempting to increase positive emotions, such as equanimity, love, joy, and compassion, in, in order to face whatever the future will hold with a calmness, confidence, and stability. In other words, although future events may not always work out perfectly, the practitioner develops the self-confidence to believe they can overcome obstacles and achieve goals and plans no matter what comes their way.
For Christians, though, we have a confidence in the future because God has already revealed to us through his divine revelation in the Bible how the story of humankind unfolds and ends with Christians moving from justification or being made right with and reconciled to God through our union with Christ to sanctification or being made holy and more like Christ due to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to being face-to-face with God in heaven, glorification, where there will be perfect unity and no more tears, no more suffering, no more death. So, rather than attempting to cultivate and maintain a positive outlook about the future for merely pragmatic reasons, to cultivate mental health, Christians can actually have faith in the future and our place in it because of who God is because of his future promises revealed in Scripture, and because of his past actions found in Scripture. Indeed, by turning to God and his word, the Bible, Christians can have faith that an infinitely loving, wise, powerful, present, and holy God will see us through, which will be the focus of the next part of the episode. In terms of Christianity... Although openness to the future isn't mentioned in the Bible per se, in that exact manner, the future is frequently discussed, especially in the context of God's plan and Christianity's ability to put our faith, I'm sorry, and Christians' ability to put our faith in who he is, his actions, his promises, and so forth. In fact, the grand narrative or meta-story of the Bible consisting of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, and spanning from Genesis to Revelation, helps Christians to better understand who God is, his relationship with, and how he is pursuing his creation, and how God's story will end, along with how God's plan will be fulfilled. Although we were created in God's image to be in relationship with him and others, we turn from him, resulting in the fall. Yet God offers us a redemptive plan, giving his Son, so that Christians who put their faith in him can be reconciled to God and spend eternity with God in perfect unity. This faith is key for Christians, with faith defined in the Holman Bible Dictionary as, quote, the trustful human response to God's self-revelation via his words and his actions. God initiates the relationship between himself and human beings, and he expects people to trust him. Failure to trust him was, in essence, the first sin in Genesis 3, 1-7. God's modus operandi during the Old Testament and New Testament periods was to make himself knowable through words about how people can relate properly to him. Those words are not the object of the believer's faith. God is the object, but his words mediate faith in him. His words guide people to him. Without the words, no one would know how to respond properly to him. Old Testament believers praise God for revealing his word of salvation. For example, in Psalm 56.4, end quote. In the New Testament of the Bible, the Greek word uh, pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, is used for faith, meaning, quote, the conviction that God exists and is the creator and ruler of all things, the provider and bestower of eternal salvation through Christ. 
So really what we're talking about here is that Christians can be open to the future because as Jesus said, it is finished, his work is complete, and those who put our faith in him have eternal life. We know how the story ends, and it's a good ending. In relation to Christ, pistis or faith means, quote, a strong and welcome conviction or belief that Jesus is the Messiah through whom we obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. End quote. So for Christians, faith or pistis in Greek means putting our trust in God who is really a loving God who's reconciled us to him and to have faith in his redemptive saving plan as we believe in and walk with Jesus home to our final destination. In other words, to marry together the openness to the future construct in secular clinical psychology and a Christian understanding of faith, 21st century Christ followers can be open to the future because of our faith and acceptance of what Jesus has done and where he is leading us to the outstretched arms of the Father where he has prepared a place for us, which means we can have the confidence to know that in an unknown, yet-to-be-determined future, following God's perfect will will lead us home. And so we don't have to rely on our own unilateral efforts and plan, which is really what got us into trouble in the first place in Genesis with the fall. Turning now to classic Christian spiritual writings, the Puritans from several centuries ago frequently wrote on and advocated for biblical meditation. This idea of thinking deeply about pondering scripture for a holistic health. They advocated for doing so occasionally and really in a more sustained, deliberate manner. So throughout the day, spontaneously, we're meditating on scripture who God is, God's actions, God's promises, etc. And then deliberately, we're setting aside time in solitude and silence behind closed doors and deliberately meditating. And one of the most frequently cited sources of biblical meditation was heaven for, for the Puritans, which provided a hope of God's eventual restoration of all things. Yet too often as contemporary Christians, we can get bogged down and distracted by the cares of the world as if we're materialists who do not believe in a spiritual reality or an afterlife or a personal God. In other words, we struggle to believe in a God who sustains all things with his providential care, his good governance. And because of this, we can end up being pessimistic about the future almost seeing that all there is is the material world, and when we die, we cease to exist. We may lack an open, confident awareness of God's presence. Because there's a sense that we're on our own to fend for ourselves in an imperfect, often tragic world. Therefore, to meditate on heaven in line with the Puritans, I think this can help Christians to have an openness to the future filled with a confident, persevering faith, given we recognize we're traveling through this fallen world with a destination in mind and a trustworthy traveling companion, a tour guide who knows the terrain and knows how the trip will work out. 
When it comes to meditating on heaven from a Puritan perspective, the Puritan scholar Joel Beakey said, quote, For the Puritans, probably the most important theme for meditation was heaven, the place where God is supremely known and worshipped and enjoyed, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, and where the saints rejoice as they are transcribed from glory to glory. Meditation is the life of most other duties, and the views of heaven is the life of meditation, wrote the Puritan Richard Baxter. Continuing on with Beakey's quote, Heaven was the supreme subject for meditation for several reasons. One, Christ is in heaven now, and our salvation consists of union through the Holy Spirit with Christ. He is our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Christ, the center of heaven, ought to be the center of all our faith, hope, and love. Two, we can only live as Christians in the present evil age if we have the mind of Christ, that is, if we are genuinely heavenly-minded, seeing our earth and this age from the perspective of heaven. And three, heaven is the goal of our pilgrimage. We are pilgrims on the earth, journeying in faith, hope, and love toward heaven to be with Christ. End quote. Therefore, for 21st century Christ followers, we can be open to the future and therefore buffer against things like depression, anxiety, trauma-related disorders, and so forth as we learn to meditate on heaven and recognize we are traveling through a foreign land to be home with God forever. Over time, I believe this confidence in who God is, God's plan, and God's promises in Scripture can potentially help us to cultivate and maintain both mental and spiritual health and openness to the future. Although we've yet to empirically investigate meditating on heaven to cultivate and maintain openness to the future, at least theoretically, it makes sense. And with this understanding in mind, let's now turn to a short practice inspired by Puritan meditation, to meditate on heaven, to cultivate and maintain a faithful, confident, trusting openness to the future. Given God is infinitely loving, wise, powerful, present, and holy. And he has revealed his plan to us. He offers us a redemptive plan wherein we can commune with God based on our union with Christ as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to walk with the Son home to the outstretched arms of the Father who's prepared a place for us. So for this short practice inspired by Puritan meditation, find a quiet location free from distractions, sitting up straight in a supportive chair with your eyes closed, and now follow along with Revelation 21, 4 to 7, which I'll read. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, 
and they will be my children. End quote. With this passage in mind, begin to meditate on the verse, I am making everything new. Trusting in God's eventual restoration of all things, I am making everything new. I am making everything new. Trusting in God's eventual restoration and cultivating and maintaining an openness to the future given God is in control. I am making everything new. I am making everything new. Because God is infinitely loving, wise, powerful, and present, and because his plan, captured in the Bible, will eventually mean we're face-to-face with him in heaven with no more tears, death, hunger, or pain, we can be confident in the future which God has planned out for the good of those who love him. I am making everything new trusting in and putting our faith in this reality. I am making everything new. As we say this verse slowly, softly, and simply with a trust and faith, a childlike trust and faith in who God is and what he will accomplish, I am making everything new sinking deeper and deeper into this reality with a confident faith and trust that God will carry out his plan, which includes us as Christians being face-to-face with God in heaven and no more tears, suffering, or death. I am making everything new. I am making everything new. Trusting in what God has said here in Revelation. I am making everything new. We're open to the future because of who God is, what God has done, and what God will do, all revealed to us in the pages of the Bible, which is God's word, God's divine revelation, generously given to us so we have a sense of what will come. I am making everything new. And as this time comes to a close, ask God to continue to reveal the promise of heaven to you as you cultivate and maintain an openness to the future. So to conclude, openness to the future filled with confidence and perseverance has been linked to fewer symptoms of depression and anxiety and greater self-esteem and self-confidence, which makes sense, given so much of our mental suffering can involve using our frontal lobe to anticipate a hopeless catastrophic future filled with no positive ending to the story of life. 
For 21st century Christ followers, though, we can be confident in who God is, God's plan for our life, and God's eventual restoration of all things. For the Puritans, they meditated on heaven as a way to cultivate and maintain a heavenly-minded or spiritually-minded perspective, a transcendent perspective, not being overly distracted by the cares of this world and only seeing the world around us as if this is our final destination. But instead, we're journeying through as sojourners, and this is not our home, and we can look to heaven with hope. So my hope is that this episode has helped you to consider the role that your beliefs about the future may play in mental and spiritual health with a firm faith and trust that God will eventually restore all things, which means that we as 21st century Christ followers can be hopeful, optimistic, and confident about what the future will bring with God leading the way. If you like this episode, please share it with others. Consider giving me a good rating on the various podcast platforms and join me again for another episode of The Christian Psychologist. Thank you.